0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. Uh, thank you, everybody. A um, lot of views and a lot of um, feedback uh, for the last few podcasts. i am getting uh, a lot of messages with the Frank Falzon especially. Uh, a lot of hits on that. Uh, a lot of uh, requests for more information from Frank. Uh, which has been great. Um, He's the one who basically broke the case of Richard Ramirez's case, um, and, and he enjoyed the interview too. I got a, I got multiple emails uh, after that podcast um, from him, you know, thanking me because I wasn't just talking about the blood and guts of everything, um, but he said I cared about him and what he was going through, what he was feeling, and his emotions and things like that. He would really appreciated it. Um, so it's great. I, I really like to hear that again. This is the lighter side of serial killers, but of course we're having Keith on the show today, so it doesn't always be on the light side with Keith. You know, as we're talking about his victims and the murders and disposing of the bodies and all that, but we gotta make everybody happy. Um, but today's the um his eighth victim, his final victim. Again, we if you read the reports and watch documentaries, oh, 169 victims, and no, it's you know he was just trying to press some buttons out there in the media and. Um, in society. Uh, There were eight. And uh, today, uh, the Julie Willingham murder. Uh, He's going to be getting, go into great detail about that, of course. Um, And after today's episode, uh, I'm going to take a little break. I've been hitting. It's funny because when I first started this, my goal was like, let me do 10 episodes. Um, And, and Then we'll take a break, kind of like season one, so to speak. But I don't know how many are up to twenty or thirty, something like that. Um, every week, producing an episode, which has been great. I'm going to take a little break after this one. Uh, get my ducks in a row. Get some more people on here. I still got more people who want to come on. I'm um, to start working on a video format. Also, uh, I put a little, I'll call a video ad out. I spent been a, a about a week working on for the music and editing. Um, a couple people, Nico Kalu. Um, you Masaki, who I wrote the book about the story of you, uh, Keith Jesperson gave a little audio for that that I you know picked from the podcast that we did, uh, which is really cool. Uh, so check that on, on all my social media pages. I posted that again, kind of like a little a little ad, so to speak, you know, for my podcast. And if you see it, please share it. Uh, get the word out there of the podcast as we continue to grow. We'll uh, do a little bit more advertising. Get that out there a little bit more too. So, but word of mouth. If you're listening to this podcast. Um, definitely share the podcast, tell your friends and share on the social media pages. I know sometimes in are true crime stuff, you know, and it's not everybody's cup of tea, uh, but definitely share, 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 especially the YouTube video. I'm going to start doing more on YouTube. I uploaded some shorts, kind of snippet, some of these podcasts, uh, going to get the word out in video format. Um, so we see, say I'm not a hundred percent sure what I want to do yet in the video format. I got the backdrop ready, all the equipment, all that fun stuff. So we'll see. Maybe I'll bring some guests on and talk about, you know, Obviously, all true crime stuff, but in some type of video format, uh, maybe even a documentary about what I do. There's a few things in the works. Uh, So after today, we're going to be taking a little break. Um, So you can always reach him on social media. Of course, I'm always working on something. Trust me. Um, But for now, again, thank you all for your support. And So let's hear from Keith and about his last and final victim, Julie Winningham.
1: So did you want to cover the uh, the last murder I had, or what?
0: Yeah, it's whatever you want to do. We Definitely do that, or you can do you know some in-between stuff. Again, talk about whether it's... You
1: know, one of the things I wanted to do after, after I did the Julie Winningham thing is, is um, to do the follow-up, which is once I was arrested and uh, came to prison, all the little, you know, the self-director kill kit and all the other stuff that played into... My time, it's like, you know, if you go to the blog and read uh, Guilty Details Part 4, that's pretty much what I'd like to handle.
0: Okay, cool. That'd Which is great. like,
1: uh, it has all the uh, all the, the court times and and uh, what was going on, and the cost, effective, and different things. It, it kind of gives you a rundown on, uh, on what happens after a serial killer goes to prison.
0: <laughs> yeah, and people are so you – know, th- I think there's three roads that people love the most about you and listening from you. One, you know, well, the murder stories, and that's like the true crime aspect of it. They like that. Then they just like hearing you talk about, you know, the like that stuff, you know, like about your life. Like what made you you? What formed you? Like we did, you know, like the last one we talked about, uh, which I just uploaded for the podcast. Um, and then it's like, what's life like? You know, like the the prison stories, and you know, what happens when you go there? Because they have most the people have no idea; they've never even been arrested for stealing.
1: That's a, a lot of people. That's a lot of people that um, they believe prison is what's on TV.
0: Well, exactly, they have no idea. That's yeah. all. Only reference you know, they, they, have. they
1: see. They see what how it's depicted on TV, watching Law and Order or or whatever all these shows where they um, where guys can break in and break out, and and it's not like that. I mean, it's just it's. We've had some prisoner breaks here.
2: Um, oh wow!
1: The last one, the last one that, uh, and, and it hasn't been documented. The, the last one that I was uh, around when it happened well, it wasn't even documented because they're they're embarrassed. Uh, the the Oregon State Penitentiary is embarrassed. <laughs> I guess so. Because we had we had a couple guys that are digging a tunnel down through. Um, the concrete out there, the, the loading dock, and they went down about 10, 15 feet, and they, then they headed towards the wall. They were out about, you know, 60, 80 feet when it was found out. And I was there when it was found out. It was uh, wow. kind of crazy. A guy, uh, a cop by the name of Bobby Wasserman, he was a uh, botanic of corp at the time or something. But he made his sergeant stripes for finding the uh, the tunnel. Um they, basically, what happened was is, um, he caught a couple guys smoking in the back. Now, they got rid of smoking in here in, in the later part of 1995, early 1996, So they just got rid of smoking, so you couldn't smoke. So he caught a couple guys on the back dock smoking a cigarette, and so he locked the back door. And then uh, he came back later, and he now there's three guys in the back dock, not two. So I wondered where the hell the third uh, guy came because there was nobody on there. The guy wow. was in the tunnel. The guy was <laughs> down in the tunnel oh, and no. uh when he came when he came back he came back on out and he should have stayed in the damn tunnel, but they um they went down through um uh, they had a cable there with four bolts. It was almost like straight out of you know, the great escape there from um uh, from T V from the um uh, wow. you know, that movie.
2: Yeah.
1: Where they go down underneath the um the fireplace, right? They lift the fireplace out of the way and then they, they go down to the cinder block right into the floor or whatever. Same basic thing. But yeah they they ended up going out there and they, they poured concrete down the hole where it was and they dug up um, with a backhoe and then you shoved peat gravel into it as far as they could push it in and yeah, it was kinda crazy but the, I think they made it about as far as they could. I mean they there was talk about how they weren't gonna make it out because there's a creek on the other side of the wall but they were right above the waterline, so yeah. Anyway, wow, that happened in oh, I'm going to say 97, 1997, right in there. Oh, that's
2: uh, wild. But there was
1: like, you know, there's <laughs> there probably a dozen guys trying to lose weight so they could fit down a 13 inch hole. <laughs> that's know, crazy, crazy stuff.
2: Yeah, definitely. But we
1: had a we had a guy that we had two guys that sewed themselves into a couch out there in the furniture factory and they once they, they had guys put them on a forklift and they, they shipped them out of the institution to the warehouse and they broke out of the couch and took off. Now, it's debatable oh. whether it's Curly Strickland, I mean, you could probably look up his name, Curly Strickland, and he he, was, he got out and, and it was debatable that he spent a long time out there, like a couple years before it was recaptured. But uh, I think I've talked to Curly before, but he, he pulled out Oh, I'm going to say eight years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. He had done like 55 years in prison. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then uh, we had another guy that, that snuck into a sawdust truck, into an empty barrel, and he had got out of the prison. They actually trucking out of the prison. He climbed out and was trying to rob a video store, and he got caught. Oh, and the cops had him in custody and they called the prison and said, We got inmates so and so here and they said, No, we don't. We got him in our prison over here but they <laughs> they had a dummy just like in Alcatraz laying there in the bed for him. Oh,
2: now that's no. why
1: we have to that's why we yeah. have to sit up in uh in ourselves when it comes to count. Okay. Because of the uh that guy had um, had snuck out and he was gone for a day, roughly, mm-hmm. but he he couldn't wait till he he got out of Salem and he was he was he, he got out of the truck and went over to rob this damn store and, and screwed up and got caught. You think he would have just limit, not even tried that kind of crap? But he did. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: It was it was nuts, but that was that was one of the last ones, that, you know, prison breaks here. We but people, <laughs> get, you know, and we have a have a wall here, yeah, it's Elvigen, you know, so. Yeah, that's, we've had things happen here uh, that, but they don't make the news big time because the prison doesn't want anyone to know that uh, they can, like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of this one gal that got out, a woman that got out, um, that uh, had killed her kids or something like that, and she had escaped, and where did she go, about three or four blocks from the prison, and then... Invited all of her friends over there, and all she had was a fuck
0: party. Oh geez. Oh, <laughs> whatever made you happy? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a little while for her, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know they never, never went far. It's just a problem, but yeah. You know. Yeah, so we can we can discuss the uh, my my last one. I want to get that out of the way,
0: of course. So
1: so it's a Julie Winningham case, and it was that's the one I got caught with. And, uh, now I, I, I met Julie Wenningham at the Burns Brothers truck stop in Troutdale, Oregon in 1993. Um, I, I pulled in there and I was parking and she was in a booth at the restaurant, at the B-Bar restaurant. And, uh, there was no, there was no, uh, spaces to sit down on. So I walked on over and she was by herself and I said, mind if I sit down and I sat down. And she allowed me to sit down, and I just talked. started talking to her. She's about my age. And I uh, asked her, what the hell going on? Where, what, 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 and she's, I told her I was trucking, and then I was headed up to the Associated grocery Seattle uh, down unload and uh, I asked her, Do you want to go trucking? And she, she looked at me. She said her ex-husband was a truck driver and that uh, she would love to go. And so she had a car. It was like an AMC Spirit that she had parked off there towards the McDonald's restaurant, out in the dirt parking lot. And uh, so she grabbed all of her stuff, and she got in my truck, and we went up to Seattle, made our delivery. Then we headed out over to um, Yakima to where I was getting my truck serviced, got my truck serviced, and uh, then we went up to uh, Othello up there uh, to pick up a load of, um, what the hell did we get? Potatoes. We got a load of potatoes for uh, Lucky Stores in Irvine, California, and we headed down that way. And we got down there and got unloaded, and uh, they had nothing for us for another load to go anywhere. So we sat down in uh, Fontana, California. We pulled up to Fontana at the off of Cherry Street. There's a um, truck stop there, and we we I parked the trailer there, and we bobtailed over to the Notchberry Farm. The uh, amusement park. We spent the night there going through that, and we made it back to the, the truck stop. And in the morning, uh, I was in. we were in the restaurant, and we had ordered our breakfast, and I looked around, and she was gone. I wonder where the hell Julie went. So um, I had them hold my meal there and keep it warm. I went out to the truck, and here she was on the radio trying to buy marijuana she could smoke grass. And <laughs> I don't do I don't do the weed, but at the time back in '93, it was, it was still illegal everywhere. But um, here she's trying to buy it off of off the CB radio, and I said, "Damn it, girl!" I said, uh, "Just because I don't smoke this damn stuff doesn't mean I don't know how to get it." That's funny. I showed I her how to do it. I went around and I got got a guy that uh, polishes the wheels or whatever, and I asked him about it, and he had he had access, let's just say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I told her, I said, If you're gonna if you're gonna get the weed, I guess you're gonna have to pick it because I'm not gonna pick it and, and be blamed for getting stems and crap like that and not get buds. <laughs> I told her, I said, Man, you gotta you to be the picker and you're if I'm gonna pay for it, you're gonna you're gonna pick it because I don't wanna be blamed. You know, I mean this is I've been I went down this road before someone else that you know, you're, you go there and you help them. You, 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 you get by them. There's a little bit of weed, it. and then I found out how expensive grass was at the time. It was four. It was forty dollars an I asked her, "What the hell is an eighth? She said, "An eighth of an ounce." I said, "Hit the last time I bought marijuana was seven dollars and fifty cents a uh-huh. four finger lid <laughs> <laughs> back in the back in the seventies, uh, early seventies.
0: That's probably an ounce. No? It was
1: nuts. I, you know, it was nuts. I was like, "What the hell? Forty dollars so we got it and I told you she couldn't smoke it in the truck because I traveled to Canada and I didn't need any seeds or anything landing on the on the floor or anything mm-hmm. like that. And uh so she, she smoked it outside. She was pissed off because of that. But she kept one of the reasons why she said that she wanted me to buy was because it made her, you know, sexually active, which it didn't. It was <laughs> 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 If you if if she she was drinking alcohol, she would get sexually active. When she was smoking pot, she just wanted to go to sleep. Oh, I know funny. you. This is I mean, this is her her ploy to get me to do all this
2: now, Yeah,
1: we were down there in ba- we were down in uh, Fontana, and we got her, I got her weed, and we headed up to Bakersfield. We ended up getting a, a load of Eagle snacks, and that was headed to Denver, and it was basically potato chips. And she thought, well, this is going to be a quick run. And I said, no, 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 no. We're going to have to go up through Vegas, you know, up up into uh, uh, Wyoming and drop down into Denver. That week we, we can't go straight across. She said, oh, bullshit. And I said, well, no, that really that's what we're going to do because the elevation, I couldn't go up the elevation because of tater tips would blow up. You know, you ruin a trailer. Uh, that air gets thin up there and they expand and they you can, I've seen trailers break apart. Wow. When they're hauling French, you know that kind of stuff, you know wow. popcorn or or potato chip stuff. So we ended up going all around. End up making we ended up making it back to uh, the Troutdale. Well, about two weeks after we we hooked up, and she's this girl that didn't have a house. She's a pretty girl. She's about five foot three, uh, maybe a hundred and ten pounds, maybe uh, blonde. Uh, you know, thirty nine, forty years old at the time, same age I am, or was. That or we're getting that timeline. And she had her, all her belongings were at one person's house up in Washington. And the and when I dropped her off, I, I found out that she was just staying on the couch, and she stayed there for until she overstayed her welcome. That's how she dealt with how she lived. She. She'd go with someone, over to someone's house and stay there until they kicked her out. And so a few months into, uh, into this relationship we had, she tried to talk me into putting her into an apartment. I said, I can't afford that and drive and <laughs> at the same time. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But I had a friend named Gary Day, Jerome Day, and I, and I talked to him, and he, he had a bedroom that was open. I said, "Why don't I put her in your in that bedroom? I'll just pay a little extra, or whatever, like that." And so that's what we did. So I put her in the house there in Washougal. And the only thing, only problem that was is that, you know, because of the marijuana and because of alcohol and all this, when when I came into town, she was she party with me. But while I was gone, she would party with Jerry's wife, Jeanette, uh-huh. and they would. Smoke pot, and they would, you know, carry on, and and then I got the wind from my when I call in, I, I and my friend Jerry would tell me that um, you know one of the reasons why Jerry wanted would allow her to be there was the fact that Jerry was a swinger. Yeah, I don't know exactly. if I told you this before, but in 1986, he invited me over to the house there to, to, to screw his wife, and I was like, and I was very, I. <laughs> I found out that they were swingers, and mm. I, all the while, all the while I had had uh, Julie there at his place. He was hoping that I would convince Julie to screw him, and I could screw him Gotcha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: and, and that
1: wasn't that wasn't gonna fly. I mean, <laughs> It just wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna deal with with having to share her with him and yeah. and everything like that. So I never brought up the question. Um, I never brought up the question with uh Julie, but I know Julie sure saw that jeanette and i were were more than friendly to each other, and she brought that up that uh, that you know that I was in love with jeanette
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh i and of course, when I was gone, I was up and down the highway on the road driving, and I was owning my truck at that time in nineteen
0: ninety three the um uh,
1: Jerry caught wind of what Julie really, really wanted out of me. She basically wanted my truck. She said that I'm just going to charge, take the, the truck for a run, and it, she'd just never come back.
0: Oh, geez. She'd just take
1: the truck and leave.
0: For what purpose? That was her
1: intention. What's that?
0: Why would you want the truck?
1: Because she drove the truck. She wanted, she, she just wanted to steal it. She wanted to, she thought that she wanted to get past, get away from me, but also get the truck
2: from Gotcha. And that's okay. what
1: Jerry told me and I said, Well, I guess we're gonna to have to end this relationship. So in nineteen ninety three, <laughs> in the fall of nineteen ninety three, I, I told Julie that she could no longer stay with Jerry. She was she was she was getting kicked out, which is a norm. She's used to this. She had to find another place. She packed up her car full of mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. then uh went somewhere else and we separated. I didn't see her for a couple of years. Uh, in in 1995, in in March of 95, uh, I came back. I was actually at the Burns Brothers Truck Stop again in Troutdale, and there she was. And I I, was, I went. I used the uh, motel, and I got up that that Sunday morning. And I was I got out of, the, out of the motel, went into the restaurant, and I came back to use the restroom. And I looked up, and there she was, talking to some stranger. And she saw me, and I was hesitant even talking to her because I really didn't want to be back with her. But I also knew that, you know, I had a few days for my love book to catch up, and I said, well, why not be with her, and we can party, and, and the sex was available, and all this was there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's just how, how everything works out. So I got to the out of the bathroom I walked on over to her and uh she was like let's let's go talk so we went and talked in the restaurant restaurant and a few minutes later we went out to the truck and played. And that's <laughs> kinda like how we got right back into the swing of things. <laughs> yeah. And uh it she just took all she had her car there, that the AMC spirit again. She grabbed her stuff out of the car, put it in the truck and for the next you know, uh Three four days, it was supposed to be. You know, it was it was going to be great, but there's always something that Julie always wanted, and that's why she was there. She was there trying to drum up business from someone to help her out. There's always she needed help. She had gotten into uh, a couple DWIs uh, in one day. She what what ended up happening? She she was driving her car. She got pulled over for drunk driving. And she handed the cop her driver's license because he was confiscating it, and was told that if she can get a friend of hers to drive the car and, and she could drive the car back to where she was staying, well, she flagged over a friend walking down the street, and she got in there, and they drove away. Well, they got out of sight of the cop, and she kicked the, the girl out of the out of the car, and got back in the driver's seat, went to the next intersection, and. T-boned another car in the intersection, and the same cop showed up to find out that here she is drunk driving again. And she didn't realize it was the same cop when she handed handed him her other ID card, other driver's license she had in her purse. Oh, no. So now she had two two DWIs in the same day, and the same officer pulled over and got her on that. Oh, wow. Crazy, right? Right, you can't make this shit up. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Whoa.
1: So she needed, she needed me. She needed someone to help her out so she didn't go to jail. This was the whole promise of her being with me was she wanted to wanted me to take care of her fines that she would be in court and try to talk the court out of putting her in jail.
0: Wow! So she didn't have. And, a, I, I'm and assuming she didn't have.
1: I all I was. All I was thinking about was getting laid. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm assuming she didn't have a job. I mean, she had a couple bucks for liquor. or Did everybody just buy her stuff, gas and beer and all that? Did she just hustle people for the money?
1: Well, she had no she had no job.
0: Okay, so she, she always
1: just... she was she was a she 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 lived off of people.
0: Okay, okay, that's that make, what that
1: makes that's sense. what Julie did. She was she lived off people. Okay. Uh, her mother lived there in in Washougal, Camas area. Her nickname is Snooky, and, and we, we know her, her name is Snooky because she's a drunk. Mm. Always a drunk. Gotcha. That's just just how what she is. I mean, Julie lived with her mom, and they didn't get along. Why? Because they're both drunk. Yeah, gotcha. they, they just fight amongst themselves. So the moment she could get out, she got out. Well, she's mm-hmm. she's in the truck with me. We're screwing each other and and uh, partying and whatever like that. But. Sooner or later, I have to go. I mean, my logbook's going to catch up to me, and i got to get a load and get the hell out of there. But in the meantime, it was a party. That's all it was, is that I was uh, enjoying <laughs> yeah. her company. Yeah. She was, uh, you know, in the truck with me. And uh, now, the first night, and it was Sunday night, we went to Jubit's truck stop, and we played pool and so forth. And as we walked out of the truck stop, headed back to the truck, she throws sort of this thing at me like, um, why don't we get married? And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of like, you know, I I didn't want to get married t- two years ago, and now all of a sudden when there was a one day and then one night and, and we're playing and we're screwing and she's like, if we're going to be together, we might as well be together forever. And I was like, that's when this whole thing came up with this DWI. That's when I learned of all the DWI stuff was because of of when she was talking to me, and I saw that as a deal breaker for me getting laid that night was whether or not I wanted to get married or not.
2: So I yeah. told her,
1: "You yeah, got why not, right?" <laughs> so we went back to the truck, we screwed like rabbits, and then she wanted to go tell her mom that she's now going to get married. I said, this whole thing was all based on the on the, on her hope that I would cover her 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 bills and, and
2: keep uh, her gotcha. from going to
1: jail. Yeah, and so the next morning. On Sunday, on Monday morning, uh, we we ended up over there in Washougal, and I was driving the systems truck. I was driving; and I didn't have the trailer on, and we needed to go see her lawyer. That's what it was about was like. Uh, and when I went over to see her, lawyer, I'm going like, "What's with on I talked to her lawyer, and I said, "What's going on here?" And then she lays it out to me that uh, you know she has a court date coming up the following Thursday morning and that she was going to go there, and, and Julie had told the lawyer that I was going to pay for her fine to keep her out of jail. And that's when the lawyer says to me, are oh, you going to really pay for this? I was like, excuse me? <laughs> well, how much is this going to cost? Uh, right? We're looking at thousands of dollars. This is oh, going wow. to be a, a $200 fine. Uh, this, okay. this is going to be, she's going to do some jail time, and she's, mm. going, to, she's going to have a... A couple thousand dollar, bill, you know, yeah. and she's caught in an accident, and this was going to be a, a bad thing. And I talked to the lawyer, and I was like, "Now, I, I, I'm just here. I'm just a friend. This is it. I mean, you know, we got together yesterday after two years of being apart. This is all being sprung on me right now. On what? Why? It, and then." We left the lawyer's office, and we stopped at a bar. I need to use the restroom. And when I went in the restroom, I came out, and here she was talking to a friend of hers, and she needed a someone to drive her car because she knew she was going to lose her license. Yeah, no, no, she didn't have another uh, copy of a license to drive with. Yeah. So she decided she was going to sell her car or give her car to this friend who I just met. It was just it, She stumbled upon at the bar. Oh, wow. Uh, Monday, and she was just going to give her the car on the premise that this girl was going to drive her to a job if she ever got a job, and and so I drove, and her car is back over in Troutdale. We were in we were in Well, this girl comes out and gets in the truck with me and her, and we get over to Troutdale, and they, wanted, they want me to fill out this bill of sale for her car. So that they, it's legal, and so I I feel this, and this is how they kids train, right? This is a bill of sale I I, I put my name on as witness to the sale of this car.
0: Yeah, I heard. Mhm.
1: And this is that. This is the one that he's got me from. Keith Jesperson. Well, everyone, else, she even introduced me, or she she told all of her friends that my name was Chris. This is how how engaged she was about being with me. I was Chris to everybody of her friends. All her friends thought I was Chris. I didn't know this
2: oh, wow. until I was yeah. arrested. Ugh.
1: So anyway, so we're over in Troutdale. We drive over there to her car. Her car's all screwed up from the wreck that she was in. And uh, I fill out this bill of sale, and there's no money given down on the on the car. But in the bill of sale, there was. Mm-hmm. So will made it legal. Okay. And I, uh, I signed my name to it as witness. And then Julie went and pulled the car around to the gas station, and it was empty, of course. And they filled it full of gas, and they had no money.
0: I was say, you probably so had to I pay for paying, it,
1: <laughs> I, and, and they couldn't pay for the gas. So I had to pay for the gas. Yeah. And then they both drive off back to Washougal so they can. And apparently, she this girl had a had a room that Julie could live in. And they're going to make this deal with the car and all this stuff here. We we're, you know, driving here and there and everywhere. And and she was going to stay in this room. And uh I was, I found out where the place was, and I was supposed to meet back with them later. I had things to do. I had to drive around and and see other people that I that I knew in the area. And they took off. And I got nothing out of that other than got rid of. Really for the week for the, for the afternoon, <laughs> and then later that day, I show up at, at uh, this this place, and I find out it's a drug house.
2: oh wow,
1: you know, I parked my truck there, and i and there's people coming and going all the time there's it's all about drugs and everything, but that guy felt very uncomfortable, mm. very uncomfortable, and it was okay for the day that one day you know this is this is Monday, well, on Tuesday, like I said. Like Monday night, she's still staying with me. On Tuesday, I go to uh, Bogies, which is a restaurant there in Gresham, that night, and I play cribbage in a grassroots cribbage club there, which I played there before. And Julie goes around. Now, I find out on on Tuesday that the car that she gave to the girl on Monday was now nowhere to be found. And she now wanted the car back, of all stupid things. We had a bill of sale, and now she wanted the car back, <laughs> and the car disappeared, and the girl had disappeared with the car. So Julie couldn't get access, couldn't get the girl to drive her anywhere, so that, it went nuts. So she started walking around the town to look for the car. And that night I went to play cribbage, and I came back, and all I heard from her was complaining about, we gotta drive around and look for the car. I said, You gave the car away and it became a, an issue back and forth on the car. So we spent that night and I says that's Tuesday night. Wednesday morning she's really high rate and wants to go around. I I finally I'm getting tired of this. But Wednesday night I go to um the pizza, which, what is it? This um I'm trying to think of it. Um Right across from Kmart there's a pizza place. We play cribbage at another grassroots club. Mm-hmm. They're off one hundred and twenty second and uh Sandy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they'll come to me. It's a pizza house. I that later that night I bring home the pizza that, that's Wednesday night. And early Thursday morning. And when I bring I got the pizza when I get back there and uh she comes in at about midnight and to where I was parked, and I was parked across from the Kentucky Fried Chicken there in Camas. She shows up about midnight, and we have, and she enjoys the pizza, and we have uh, a sexual encounter, and then uh, she's complaining about the car. We've got to get a hold of the car, and I said, well, tomorrow you've got court, and she said, court, I said, yeah, but you're going to take care of this for me, and I said, Julie, the only the only thing I know of to get you to keep you from going to jail or something, you know, I didn't want to tell her, but uh, the only thing I could think of was kill her. I mean, yeah. that's the only way she could not go to jail because yeah. she was going to go to jail.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not going to pay her down fines. I mean, this is this is where it came to a head. It was about one o'clock in the morning, I guess, when uh, we got around to the pillow talk about her having to go to go to court that next morning. And uh, she didn't want to, she told me me that I promised her that she would never go to jail, that I was going to pay the fines and everything like that. And I I remember what I said. It really wasn't all that, but I also know that uh, it was a deal breaker almost. Uh, In order to be with her to make things kind of smooth over in the time I was with her, that I would agree to do anything. I knew by one Thursday came along, I was gonna probably rabbit it anyway. I was just gonna take off. Nah. Um, I was, she, she looked at me and she was like, you know, you don't, you promise. I said, well, if I promise, then I guess I I have to keep you out of jail.
2: Yeah.
1: I just reached over and I grabbed her and I strangled her.
2: Um. Uh,
1: and I told her while I was strangling her, and I said, you know, the only way I know I have to keep you out of jail is to kill you. That's uh. the only thing I know. I mean, I I promised, I I, I promised that I'd keep you out of jail. Okay, fine. You know, I was actually thinking I was going to, that night, about going over to her mom's house and dropping off all of her clothes and everything like that and just leaving the area. Because I had in the back of my mind that if I killed Julie, that's probably, you know, if it got me around to that, that uh, I'd get caught. Sooner or later, it's going to happen, right? And uh, so I killed her, and um, I, I was in the middle of killing her, let's say, and then I got interrupted. So I took off to uh, out on Highway 14, headed east out of Clark County, just across the county line. There was a wide spot, and I pulled into the uh, turnout, and I finished off the, the deed. My biggest mistake, again, was at that turnout, I grabbed her body and was naked. She was completely naked at the time. And I stepped over the guardrail, walked over, and I looked down. There's a whole bunch of pile of garbage down there. I just threw her body down onto the piles of garbage. I just figured, you know, no one was going to go down there and look at that because you'd have to go across the guardrail and go in several feet. I never thought they'd ever go down.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I was wrong. Someone did shortly after, oh, and they wow. discovered the body, and the cops were on the, on the trail trying to find out who killed her.
0: What was morning. You, you, you said you were interrupted. What was the but, interruption?
1: What? Well, there's, there's traffic going by. And I was in—I was right across from a. There's—I was in a, a busy intersection, mm. and there's a couple cops drove by, and and I was kind of looking out. And I seen cars. And I seen the cars, and I saw a couple cop cars go by. And I was like, I got to get out of this area. Okay. Because I figured that you know, just right across from the Kentucky Fried, there's an empty lot, but it, it was just across, and there's there's a lot of traffic through there, and I hadn't planned on 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 doing her. I just. Sure. Um, uh, I'd gotten, you know, done with cribbage and I came back and i bought a pizza. She complained about the kind of pizza I bought. She complained about a free lunch or <laughs>
0: no, dinner.
1: So. No, was, that was, that
0: uh, was, uh, you know. Was she unconscious? Well, you said when you got interrupted, was she unconscious? Yeah, I was, okay. she was
1: unconscious, but she got up. When I, got, when I drove over there, she'd actually got up and. Uh, stumbled and fell down on the floor oh, when no I got way. over there, and I picked her up, set her back on the on the bed, and
0: was she saying I anything?
1: Finished her off. What's that?
0: With, did, was she able to say anything? Like, what the hell's going on? Or is she just out of it?
1: Oh, she was pissed.
0: Yeah. She was. She was. <laughs> I'm sure, she was bewildered,
1: pissed, and didn't really, you know, didn't understand what was going on. I said, and I just, I just finished her off over there, and and. That was across the state. That was across the, the county line. But mm. so actually, if I really wanted to push it, I could have said, I didn't kill her in Clark County. I killed her sure. in yeah. the next county over,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then Clark County wouldn't have gotten me. But yeah. it was so closely, Clark County picked it up. Anyway, um, when I threw the body, and, of course, it was found later now, that Friday, I, I spent that Thursday with friends and stuff, and Thursday night I went to another cribbage um club there in, in uh, St. John, Oregon, played there, and Friday I went and picked up a load of lumber headed for Pennsylvania, and I drove up to Baker City, Oregon on Friday night and uh, played the tournament there at Baker City for the weekend, then took off to Pennsylvania, and they had found the body, like, I think they found the body on... That Friday, I think. I think someone was driving along and stopped, had to take a pee, and stepped over the guardrail. saw the saw the the dead body down there
2: and uh, okay. called
1: the police. And he was on mm-hmm. probation. and They arrested him because he was at a crime scene. broke his broke probation. Yeah, oh, Jesus. You know, a lot of stupid things that happen with this, and, and they they started looking for you know who she was. And it didn't take them long because she's pretty known, well known in the area, and they identified her pretty quick. But all it came down to is who they're going to look for. Mm -hmm. They they were looking for a guy named Chris until they found the the that uh, bill of sale for the car, and there was my name.
2: Mm, Yeah. Now
1: I I delivered to Pennsylvania uh, on time, made my delivery. And then I picked up a load of stainless steel that was going to a mine, a silver mine, I think it's silver, might copper, might be a copper mine, just north of Deming's, New Mexico. And I was gonna, I was headed, but when I got to the the place where I was picking up the steel, it was really strange because I got there and there's other, there's a couple other trucks from Systems there, and they wouldn't talk to me. Uh, so I think, you know, looking back, I think what happened is that. The cops were on to me at that time when I was in Uh, Pennsylvania and my boss had told the other drivers not to talk to me, Mm, not to engage. Makes sense. And so they wouldn't. So everyone, every time I saw another truck of systems, they ignored me. So I kind of felt that the way things were going. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I started headed, I started headed towards New Mexico and I got to, um, a little Rock, Arkansas. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas on the 17th of March, and that was my my daughter's birthday, so I called her on the phone. I was at the Jimmy Dolan Dance Club there um, down by the 76 Truck Stop, and I was a member of the Jimmy Dolan Dance Club. I, I've been there you know, many times. I I'd, 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 I'd had a jacket with all the emblems and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and uh, so, I called my daughter to wish her a happy birthday, and of course, she's asked me when I was going to come see her and um, Then I took off from there and I, I made it to uh, uh, Texarkana, and I pulled into the truck stop at Texarkana at 76 and I met a girl there that drove her own truck and actually uh talked to her and had made arrangements that I, that I was thinking about driving with her in a truck. Oh, okay. I don't know. It just seemed like it was going to work out, but mm-hmm. it didn't work out because I got arrested. Right. So, anyway, um, that next morning, I had when when she went off back to her husband. The girl driving the truck went back to her husband. And oh, that's funny. I I was doing my wash in the truck stop, and I met another woman there that needed a ride to DeKalb, Texas. She's married and has. Um, to a guy that was about 30 years older than her, and they raised mountain lions or cougars or whatever you want to call them. And she was telling me about that and asked if I would give her a ride to DeKalb. Now, uh, DeKalb, Texas, is the same place where Dan Block, the Blockers live. Those are the, you know, Dan Blocker from from Bonanza, mm-hmm. the Plate Hoss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his his parents live in DeKalb, Texas. That's where he's from. Gotcha. And that's how I knew that. So I I drove to DeKalb with her, dropped my trailer off, and bobtailed over to in front of her house. And her husband's like 30-some years older than her and had the kids out in front of this mobile home. And she called the kid over, the one kid over, and she grabbed the kid and tells me to drive. And I said... I'm not doing this. <laughs> this is kidnapping. I'm yeah. not driving. I'm just, I drove to the intersection. And I said, get the fuck out, right? Yeah. I'm not playing this game, right? Mm-hmm. So I made it back to my trailer, and I was hooking up to my trailer. She shows up with a car. Don't want, I, I promised you I was going to show you my cougars and my lions or whatever. So we drove out to her mountain where they have these pens, we fed the the cougars um uh, uh, some chickens that she had there in another pen—that's what they fed the fed the cougar. I wild. thought she was full of shit, and there showed up. There's <laughs> there's these damn mountain lions. Out
2: wow! Holy crap!
1: So we spent we spent half a day there uh, with I spent half a day with her, and she drove around the area, showing me the sights, stuff like that. There was nothing sexual to it. It was just uh, having a good time, kind of thing. We had mm-hmm. a had a couple of Mickey's malt liquor, you know the big big mouth. Oh, I
0: remember that. Yeah. The big green ones. Yeah.
1: I've had, I've had that a couple of barrels. They call them barrels. I guess. I remember it looked like
0: little grenades, I, little green grenade looking things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just So I, we got back, I got back to the truck and I was headed back. I was headed towards Demi's and I, I got to El Paso. And when I got to El Paso, uh, I called in from their 76 truck our fuel stop there. And when I was in the fuel stop, I saw other systems drivers. And again, they were ignoring me, they're kept you know, kept away from me. And so I called the boss and I said, Okay, I'm here at you know in uh, El Paso, um, I'm gonna head on up there but I don't you know, I didn't have my news I didn't have my new paperwork for the drive one my permits. And they said, Well I'm gonna have to permit to go into New Mexico and I said, Well I know how to get around the port of entry And he told me, he said, No, 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 don't do that. Um Go ahead and just go through and pay for the permit, which is a stupid thing for my boss to say because he would normally have told told me if I can get around to go around it, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what truckers do. We go, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't follow the norm. We get, we go around <laughs> the port of entry, so I don't have to pay the damn permit.
2: Sure.
1: We're we're looking at you know a hundred bucks or something like that. He doesn't want to spend money. I mean, it isn't much to go around, but when I got the port of entry, um. I, I walked in with my paperwork, and I paid for the permit to go through New Mexico. And as I was leaving, they asked me what my name was. And they don't normally ask you what your name is when you just get a permit.
2: Oh, All they're worried okay.
1: about is the truck. Yeah, They don't worry about the driver. I mean, they don't want to. Mm-hmm. But this guy was more concerned about what my name was.
2: Oh, okay. And
1: it made me go like, it's one of those things that make you go, hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Sure. The things that make you go, hmm, <laughs> what's going on here? Because no one's talking to me. I can't get get them on the radio, they're not responding. Um I hit the I get the port of entry and they ask me what my name is. And so I head on up to Demings and there's a little road that goes north and I hit the north and I head up this two lane road towards the mine. And other truckers are telling me that there's a couple unmarked cop cars parked on the side of the road up there, and they're just watching. There are a couple white-looking cars. And uh I said, well, they're moving? No, they're not moving. They're just sitting there. So when I drove by, I saw them sitting there, and it looked like they were staring at me, right? I got that feeling. There's a bad feeling here. So I get up to the mine. I pull into the front gate. I walk up there and normally they take a long time to unload you. But this guy had uh they called a the little pickup came along and they got up there and I followed the pickup down in the mine and uh hurried up and they they brought a forklift in and they unloaded the stainless steel that I had. And I couldn't roll the tarps up because it was too windy, no one would help me. So I I just piled the tarps up on the trailer and threw a couple straps over it. I pulled out of the out of the mine. I got my paperwork signed, I pulled out of the mine, I, and I got to a convenience store at the corner, and I called up my boss, I said, all right, I'm unloaded, Uh what now? And he said, well, head down towards the Deming's truck stop and call me from there. And I said, well, okay, but it was timelines, it was still early in the day, and if you don't understand something, slow down, right? That's the way I feel uh-huh. when I was out on the road. If I don't understand what's going on, if it feels like it, something's up, mm-hmm. just slow everything down. Sure. And so I had a couple of drinks of you know iced tea and stuff like that, and I just sat there, and I just waited and waited. And then I went and got in the truck, and I went to sleep for about an hour, you know, and just laid, out, laid low. And finally I said, well, maybe it's about time for me to kind of dog on over to go to get me the truck. So I head down the road, and those cops are still there. These truckers are telling me. I keep hearing these truckers talking back and forth about those two, two cops in there. That's why I was sitting up there. They had not moved when I drove by. Uh, I hadn't gone by half a mile. Behind me, here they are. They pulled in behind me.
2: Oh no! And
1: yeah, they're they're they pulled in behind me. Two white cars. They're pulling behind me, and and these other truckers are telling me, hey, the cops are in the move. They're pulling behind. Me. They're headed, they're headed south and i saw them coming up behind me and and when we got up damn near up to interstate 10 they, they both passed me but the last one that passed me slowly went by me he was kind of like paused right when he kind of looked up at me while i was driving by i thought well no, there's something really strange here right yeah so i get to the truck stop i call up my boss and he says you just park it there tonight uh it's too late in the afternoon to do anything blah 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 uh call me in the morning or whatever so I park the truck and uh you know and and I get out later and I decide i'm gonna go down to Mcdonald's there's a just walk away from the truck stop go down to McDonald's, and as I walk down there, there's a red bronco truck a bronco red bronco about seventy eight or something like that, Bronco, and it's following me. I think it's funny. This is my paranoia going in high, high alert, right? So I look around, and this Bronco is following me. And I get to McDonald's. I'm sitting there, and I swear I, I see the Bronco go by me and come back and go by me. So I'm thinking it's probably some kids cruising up and down the avenue like they do, right? It's it's, yep. it's just, but it still bothers me. So I, mm-hmm. I'm making my way back to the truck stop, and I still think that truck is following me. Well, in the morning, uh, since there's no wind, I'm able to get the tarps out and I roll the tarps up. I put them up on my deck. I go in to take a shower in the in the truck stop, and I can't get a shower. I don't know why, but they're, they're apparently they're closed down for a while. And I think well maybe I'll go to the the truck wash and get my truck washed get it cleaned up. So I go to the truck wash to arrange it, and the truck wash is broken down. Hmm. No one's getting a truck wash. I'm thinking, great, well, so I call the boss. He says, well, head to the Las Cruces uh, uh, fairgrounds, go to the Las Cruces fairgrounds to pick up your load and uh, be there by noon their time, not my time, their time. I said, and I said to him over the phone, I said, there's nothing there at the, at the fairground. He said, what do you mean there's nothing there? I said, I drove by there. I looked over there when I drove by with the load the other day, and there was nothing going on. The only thing that was going on is some guy was installing an irrigation system in the front lawn. Other than that, there's nothing going on in the fairgrounds. I can't understand what there's, but they said, well, there's some, some machinery back there you got to go get. It. And you got to meet so-and-so. And when, when he mentioned the guy's name, said, I read True Detective Magazine. And this cop's name came up. I mean, this Las Cruces sheriff's cop name came up. Detective, something. I can't remember what it is now. But he mentioned the name, and I said, "That's a, that's the sheriff there for Las Cruces." And and he argued with me on the phone. He said, "No, it isn't." I
2: said,
1: "Yes, it is. I mean, that's the sheriff there. I've read it. I, I've heard this name before." Oh uh, wow! It's a sheriff there, and they, they would they, not uh, He didn't want to acknowledge that he was a cop. I said, well, I'll just head there. I just go there. So I, I, there's a little truck stop off the fronters of road by the fairgrounds. I pull in there. And when I pull in there, I look across the, the highway and there's a cop parked across the highway on the on ramp. Right? He just parked there. Sheriff car, not a, not a, not a, not a highway patrol. He's a sheriff car. Great. All right. So he's sitting there. So I went in and I decided to clean out my truck and everything there and I, and, I was very discreet. I made sure I carried the lug all the uh, garbage to another trash can away from my truck and, and threw it away. And uh about noon, I pulled into the fairgrounds, and I parked. And right behind me pulled in this red Bronco, right, the same one that was in North, in, in Deming. Yeah, wow. And he gets out, and he walks towards me, and I say, cop. Right to myself, I go, like, that's a cop. I know it's a cop because of the way he's walking, because he, he looks like a gunslinger with mm. his gun, with his hands uh, way out on his side to, yeah. to clear his gun belt, right? And he comes up to him, and he says, uh, hey, uh, can you pull on over the other lane right there, and I'll follow you in, and, and uh, or whatever. I said, well, yeah, I can do that. So I go in there, and I pull, I, I drive up this one lane. I get up there. There's a Quanta hut up there. And another guy stops me, and I get out. We walk in behind the Quanta, and there's like eight cops, eight cops back there with guns drawn. They're all pointed at me. Wow. And they're saying you're under, arrest. you're 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 under, you're wanted for investigation to the ongoing investigation to a homicide, right? Wow. And and I'm looking at, it. I'm looking straight at these guns pointed at me, and I'm and I'm up against the wall, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to think which one are these? I'm gonna say
0: what one? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm wow.
1: thinking that maybe one of the other ones they're they're there for, but I didn't think it was there for Julie, but it was there, that's what they were there for. But they had their guns drawn and they said, Will you talk to us and stuff like this? I'm like, How do I get how do I get past this? How do I talk my way out of this kind of thing?
2: Sure. Of so I
1: never asked for a lawyer. I never asked for a lawyer. Have I ever been arrested before? But you know, they asked me all these questions. And they take me down and they drive me down to Las Cruces to the sheriff's office. And some other driver brings the truck down and they're they're looking at the truck and everything like that for evidence. And I'm there for six hours talking to these cops for six hours. And they finally let me go because I deny, I deny killing Julie. I deny all this. And I, they take my blood and hair. They were going to give me a polygraph, but they, they couldn't arrange it in time, so they let me go kind of thing. And the very last thing they did was they gave me an affidavit of why they were there. And in the affidavit, I would read later, it had all the information that all the other drug addicts that she hung around with all pointed fingers at me as being the most likely suspect Oh wow. of killing Julie.
2: Really? Wow.
1: So w- when I read the affidavit, I figured, well, had I read... Had I read the affidavit ahead of time, I would have just, i might have said I did it, <laughs> you yeah. know, because mm-hmm. it was—it was so detailed. Wow. But because I'd read it after they let me go, um, I sat in the truck stop thinking, well, "What do I do next?" And I figured I would commit suicide. Wow. I would get rid of myself. I didn't want to go down for all of this, so sure. I, took, I went and bought a whole bunch of sleeping pills, and they were the wrong kind of sleeping pills. I, I took about seventy sleeping pills, and all I did was wake up in the morning with a headache.
0: Yeah, I remember you sound before, that's that's a crazy story.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of stupid. But there was a there was another truck there called Prime Prime Trucking. I went to use the restroom, and I came back and I jumped in his truck because I thought it was mine. I know he <laughs> said that. I was that. so out of it. Oh
2: yeah, uh-huh. and
1: they called the cops. They asked me where my logbook was. I said, "You got my logbook." I mm-hmm. said, I, "I talked about how." i had been at their, their station all that time and, and dealing with this.
2: That's amazing. Yeah,
1: so it was, it was it was really nuts, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, so after after I woke up the next morning, I, my boss says, "Start sending me towards Phoenix to get a load." Well, I made it to uh, a, a truck stop there by uh, about sixty miles east of Wilcox, Arizona, and I decided at that time that I would call up the detective. Uh, Buckner on the phone and confessed to him that I killed Julie and turned myself in. But when wow. I committed, tried to commit suicide, I'd sent a letter to my brother trying to explain my, you know, it was a suicide note I sent to my brother, telling him that I killed eight people in the last five years. And that's the letter they, or the suicide note they compared to the happy face letter that was sent in 1994 calling me the happy face killer.
0: Wow. Absolutely
1: amazing. Yeah. So they, when I was arrested, they they came out and got me. When they came out and got me, they said the Wilcox sheriff, when they showed up in the parking lot, I walked up to them. I said, I'm the guy you're looking for, and I had my hand my hands up for my They just cuffed me, and they drove me back to Wilcox. I spent the night there, put me on suicide watch of all stupid things because I turned myself in, and then took me down to Bisbee, the county jail down in Bisbee. And then I started learning how the legal system really worked. Mm. When I when the lawyer got to me, he said, "Well, you told the police officer. That's the worst thing you could do."
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then we started going through the format of of being extradited back to Washington State to stand trial in the Julie Winningham murder. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was I I was getting a crash course there in the in the. County Jail about what I should I should have not done.
2: Sure, of course. Yeah. Now,
1: had I not turned myself in, had I said, uh, went and got the load in Phoenix and headed north and and Remain, took my remaining. took my money draws as I wanted, uh, I could have been in Canada. I could have gone up there.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Let me to call you right back. Sure, definitely. Oh, all, right, all right, okay, all right, all right.
2: Mm-hmm. Press or say. will be recorded and subject to monitoring at any time. Thank you for using IC Solutions. You may begin speaking now. Oh. Well then, all
1: right. so so I was arrested, I was in Bisbee, Arizona, and I'd gone through all the rigmarole of this. And so eventually, Detective Rick Buckner and company came down to pick me up, they, they bought, brought a big Cadillac, and they drove me back to Tucson, Arizona. They put me on a... We, Went commercial. I got on a plane, and we flew to Phoenix. And from Phoenix, uh, we jumped up and went over into Portland. And we got to Portland, and then we they drove from Portland over across the river into Vancouver. Now all this time, I was thinking about that suicide note I sent to my brother Brad. I'm going, like God, I got to get rid of that. I got to get my my brother to destroy the letter. I got to get him to destroy this. So. The moment I got to a phone, which what I didn't realize was I was being monitored like I'm here, and I called my brother. My brother says, is there any truth to this? I'm like, Brad, you need to flush that down the toilet. You need to get rid of it. Get rid of it because it has bad implications on it. You've got to get rid of this thing. You can't let anyone say it, blah, 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 right? So I hear him flush the toilet like he's getting rid of it, but he doesn't.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't know that part of the story. I didn't know he pretended to flush the toilet. First time I heard that.
1: He pretended to flush the toilet. Wow. And then what I didn't realize is that he'd contacted my father. My father said, yeah, my father wanted to to see it, which he did. So by the time, um, you know, I felt at ease, I thought that he flushed it, right? But I'm sitting there in in Clark County Jail going, like, oh, man, I'm in here for one murder. I met my lawyer, my Raymond, and, uh, I never told them about the multiples, all this. thing. Mean, what we talked about is the Julie thing. And, and then, in May, I think on May 11th of '95, of uh, my lawyer comes to see me. We go. I go in and I see him, and he and he hands. Uh, he has a copy of the of the suicide letter. He has a copy of the suicide letter. He throws it on the table in front of me. And he says, Is there any truth to this? Oh, no. Right. Yeah. And of course, I'm looking at this. And uh, then he tells me, he said, detective Rick Buckner has seen this. And he's trying to, he, he has compared that to the happy face letter sent in 1994 to the Oregonian, right? how did they even make so that I connection
0: it, just from that, that quickly? Comparing that? Well, the
1: he, had, he had, because of, because of, I had said I killed, I was a truck driver, this was the, the happy face letter was a truck driver. I said I killed in the last five years, I killed eight in the last five years. And so they, they made this connection okay. along the way. This is what Buckner was. Mm-hmm. The Buckner was making this connection. Gotcha. Well, he saw the handwriting, my handwriting versus the cursive handwriting in the Oregonian newspaper. That's like... That's like uh, the the Unabomber in his manifesto, right?
0: Yeah. Plus, you have very Unab- unique, you have very unique handwriting, so this probably wasn't too hard yeah, to connect. Yeah. So
1: them. you have unique handwriting, I have unique handwriting, and, they, and that's how they they went after the the Unabomber was because of his manifesto and what he said in the manifesto. Mm-hmm. They went after me because of how my handwriting was compared to the one in the Happy Face Pillar letter. Sure. So so when my lawyer came in to see me, he asked me, is there any truth to this? And I said, well, yeah. And, and I went through, and I, I talked to him about all eight cases. You know, I, I talked about uh, the Bennett murder, where these two people are wrongfully convicted. They're, they've been incarcerated. I talked about my, uh, my second murder there, the one in Riverside County, California. And the third one there that we've discussed is that, that one that, Got, got up and walked away, you know. And then the fourth one was the Lauren Pentley case. And the fifth one was the now uh, the Patricia Schiphol case. And the sixth one is the Florida case. And the seventh one is Angel Sabriz. And then, of course, the eighth one, which is Julie Winningham. Now, we talked about this. Now, uh, my case in, in the Angel Sabriz case was actually a Nebraska case when I talked to my lawyer. And that's the way it is. Now, the only reason it changed the Wyoming case because I had to deal with a jailhouse rat and I told him it was a Wyoming case later at a later time. We'll get to that. But anyway, I I talked to my lawyer and he said, what do you want to do with this? I said, well, let's just get everything taken care of. And he says, well, ideally, the best way to take care of it would be to settle the Julie Winningham case first, the Andrew Sabriz case second, you know, the Florida case third, so I would not have any preceding. Cases to show pattern, so I wouldn't have a pattern uh, huh. in front of me. But that doesn't happen in court. They they come at you from all angles. So yeah. you get you don't get to pick and choose which case they're going to come at you with, the prosecutor. Gotcha. So anyway, so this is what we wanted. He said, "Well, don't talk to anybody. Don't make any. You know, don't don't say anything. Just stay quiet. Whatever. I'll be back. I'll be in touch." So in June. Of 95, Detective Rick Buckner had figured it out that I was a happy face killer. And so he went to the Columbian newspaper, which is a local Vancouver newspaper, and he talked to a reporter named Bruce Westfall. And they came up with this story. So all of a sudden, there's breaking news on you know, the news in June of '95 that they could have the happy face killer now in Clark County, Keith Jesperson, blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. at that moment, while I was in county jail, I looked around and all of a sudden I now I had 30 other guys in the pod with me, all staring at me. <laughs> oh no! Because they now know that there's a the serial killer in the in their ranks, right? Wow! And I had a couple of them that this one was the jailhouse rat named Ken Montserrat, who actually had done time here at OSP. And I learned from him all the different prisons he had done time in, which would be the best prison to do my time in, which would be OSP here. So in order to get his help to get my confessions out to the media, I had to go through him to get through another lawyer to get my material out. And that was my only access. So to get the access, I told I had to give him a case so he could make a deal with a prosecutor to get a time cut and in process I got my material out to the media which happened in which happened in September mm-hmm. of ninety five. I was a, that was a big press release that came out on the nineteenth of, of September. But in order to get it out, I had to get it smuggled out through one through one person to hand it to a lawyer. The lawyer would drop it in a mailbox outside of the jail, and it would go to St. John's, Oregon. And then that Saturday, which is the 16th, the the woman there would take all the, the envelope out of that 10 by 13 envelope and then deposit them back in the mailbox, which would go to seven different press agencies which would go to the, the news, um, you know, the T V stations and the newspapers and that to say that was the happy face killer. Now that went out on the you know, that hit the sixteenth and then of course the mail hit. I figured it would be on Monday, but it wasn't, it was on a Tuesday, Tuesday the nineteenth when it when it finally hit. But they on the fifteenth of the fifteenth of of September, Marion County was at Park County to collect DNA in the in the in my fourth murder case, which is the Fentland murder, they were there to solve that case. But in the meantime, Multnomah County was complaining that I couldn't be the person that had killed Tanya Bennett because I must be a liar. And we we've, we've talked about this sure, about how they, they they kept telling me I was a liar, and and all these agencies like the My fifth murder the the Schiphol case they call that was a drug overdose. They said the, lower, the the Cynthia Lynn rose case was a was a drug overdose I didn't do that one either. Everyone was jumping up and down saying I was a liar only when I was able to get this all taken care of to prove I was then of course, I was proved I was guilty then they got out of prison, and everyone went silent so this yeah. This all was developing wow. in September. Marion County was trying to get DNA and everything, and that was a fiasco. They couldn't get my DNA there at, 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 the, at the jail, so they took me downtown to the hospital. And this funny thing happened on the way out of the hospital. I was walking, and i could only walked so far fast because, because I had leg irons on and I had cuffs on, and I was dressed in orange, and I was hobbling along, and, the, and my lawyer was talking to their the, 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 these other Lawyer, the, the prosecutors and the cops, from and then also Rick Buckner was talking to them. They walked off and left me. They'd actually walked like they're normal, and and I just stopped. I just looked at them. And I just stopped walking because they're ahead of me, and they go. They were about fifty to a hundred yards away from me before I finally said, "Hey, you guys missing somebody?" <laughs> right? And they looked back, and here I am. The the the, the, the hospital staff was. Is looking at me, standing all by myself in the middle of this parking lot. Oh, no. These guys are at the other end of the parking lot. And I, I pretended like I was running because even though I couldn't run, there was no way in hell I was going anywhere. <laughs> but I turned like I was in a stance, like I was going to take off, right? And they ran real quick, that, and they, were, so. they looked in all directions trying to figure out what... It would have been one of those
0: um, oh, you know, viral
1: moments if someone had oh, a damn yeah. cell phone back then. I was thinking the
0: same thing. That would have, that would have made millions of views online.
1: <laughs> yeah. They would have went like, this guy's on his way. He's going to run away from... These guys are talking about some damn, you know, the case. And they walked off and left me. You know, crazy. That's shit, great. Right? And they finally get me in the car, and... and Buckner's pissed, man. He he wanted it. He said, don't don't bring this up anywhere. No, don't be talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean they took my blood, they they got it and they took off with it and they're gonna solve this case. Well, you know, the evidence was there and they proved that I was the uh, the happy face killer because of the on the letter, uh my my fingerprint was on there, my saliva was on the on the envelope and stuff like that. So they they got that, so they know that I am. I was a writer of the of the letters. They have to killer letters, and then everything kind of like snowballed from there. Yeah, um, I was able to get. Uh, you know, I, I was able to push the narrative of of getting Multnomah County to offer this deal before they even charged me for a crime, and I was able to get them released from prison. And that was that was the base. Now, in the moment I went public. Basically, when I went public on the 19th of September, from the 19th of September to the 19th of December, there's just 90 days, I settled three murder convictions, two of them in, in, in Oregon, one in Washington, and gotten two people released from prison in 90 days.
0: Wow. That's crazy. And that's
1: kind of unheard of.
0: Yeah, right? of course it is.
1: Yeah. So, and then after, and after uh, I was convicted, I was given, you know, I was I was convicted of uh, in the Bennett thing on, on November second, and I was given thirty years with a twenty minimum. On the uh, on the Pentland murder, I was given thirty seven and a half to follow the Multnomah County. That was on the fifteenth of December, and on the nineteenth, I was in front of Judge Harris in, in Clark County to discuss the Winningham case, and I got thirty four and a half years to follow my Oregon case. Wow. In the, middle, in the middle of, of, of talking now, you, if you look at the newspaper, the judge was right there. This is before Christmas, right? And I said to the judge, I said, I made a statement to the judge. I said, you know, I I was kind of hoping that I'd get a week furlough so I could be home with my family, but I don't think Santa Claus is going to give that to me.
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: and I think uh, I said, well, Santa Claus, and this guy, this, this judge has a full beard, right? So I said, well, Santa Claus, reach in your bag of goodies and give me what I've got coming, sir.
2: That's, and well, so he a reached a in his
1: bag and gave me thirty four and a half years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so my lawyer said my lawyer told me I was going to get thirty plus years. That's what it was. I mean, yeah. there was no deal. I just pled guilty.
2: Sure. And
1: and on the on the sixteenth of, of October when I pled guilty, and then we set off sentencing until after the order went. That's how come I'm in. That's how come I'm in an OSB, because I set off sentencing in the in the in the one case I pled guilty to first. In order to get sentenced in Oregon first, so that all my time would be spent at OSP.
0: Gotcha. That's
1: you're how I got here.
0: Okay. So they don't move you from facilities, right? When you do a concurrent kind of a sentence, even it happen in different places, um, you're staying just at that one facility. You're not going to do ten years, move it to another facility to do time over there. You're just stay there the whole time, right? They don't. They would never transfer. I'm going to do you. the whole time here. Yeah. That's what, yeah. This that's is, what I thought.
1: This is the deal. This is the deal I made with Oregon was what we made is that i do all my time at OSP, and i will never appeal any of my cases
0: i got you okay
1: and so yeah and so like when i came back from wyoming they were going to send me to eastern oregon to another prison i laughed on them i said you don't know understand the, the conditions to my deal and they sure. said well no one has yeah. that deal no one has that deal and i said well, all right, well you can figure this out. And he's, of course <laughs> a couple of weeks in the hole there in Clackamas and the next thing you know they, they haul me back to OSP and they said don't let this happen again.
2: Wow. That's
1: wild. Yeah. So this is this is how uh this I get I, I'm over here at OSP that once I once I I pled guilty on the sixteenth of Julie Winningham's murder, then the gag order came off. And then I could talk to the press. Well, Multnomah County wanted to put a gag order on me, but they hadn't charged me for the crime. They couldn't they couldn't put a gag order on me without charging me for a crime that they didn't want to charge me for.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense.
1: So this, this is this is and this is how come they come back and say I don't play fair. Yeah.
2: <laughs> because
1: <laughs> sure. I I I started learning how the system worked from being incarcerated in jail.
2: Mhm. So
1: that's my dealings with and as far as, you know, everything got, it got got taken care of rather quickly. That's good. I knew that, I told my attorney, he said, if we get those two people out of prison, which I think we will, I said, when we get these people out of prison, all the other cases will not go to trial. And he says, how can you be so sure? And I said, because they don't want to drag them people into trial as my benefactor. They don't want people coming in and pointing at prosecutors and say, "Just mm-hmm. tricks like that that put me in prison, and that nice serial killer over there got me out."
0: Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That makes sense, though. <laughs> it, it definitely makes sense, yeah.
1: It is. It's, it's, it's how the system works. I mean, they don't want—they didn't want someone in there to come in to make me look like a good guy. Mm. That's understandable, and that's how—that's yeah. how the system. How I was able to play the system. Yes, I manipulated the system, but the system is there to be manipulated.
0: Well, that's what lawyers do. I mean, that's their job. You know, that's that's the whole point. Well, you know, well my best lawyer
1: best told can. me, yeah, my lawyer told me we had a hundred clients just like me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're helping them out. He used to give you a discount. Yeah, well, <laughs> give you some money back. Oh no, see, so he's a, he's a public yeah, defender he, anyway, right? He was a public defender.
1: Yes, but he's yeah. also he has private practice. The, yeah. the difference is, is that he's not just a public defender, but he was on the roster as been one
0: Yeah, but he okay. also
1: had a private practice.
0: Yeah, you got lucky with that and one he just for
1: happened sure. To, and I had, the, I had the, I uh, had the, luck of the draw. Let's just say.
0: Yeah, you got a good one for sure.
1: Yeah. So that's that's the basis. Now, on, when we deal with my the the rest of this, after I, you know, Wyoming came came to talk to me on on January twelfth of, of ninety six they came to Clark County and they brought in a polygrapher to give me a polygraph test in the Angel Sabree's case. They were there trying to build up a case on me to take me to Wyoming. This is after i'd given Ken the that case I said it was a Wyoming case and i made and I made up a story that was a lie, but I knew that he would tell the lie and he would he would adhere to it and also in engross the lie better bigger than what it was, and all I knew is once I got to bottom, all I had to do was prove it was a lie, and then the case would go away but in other words so it was just a it was a play on this. but they were there to try to get me to say that you no, know, i I told them I was being honest and i I told them the truth, I told them I did not rape i did not have i didn't have forced sex with Andrew Sabree. that was all consensual. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to believe me. They said, no, 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 we think you raped her. We think you did this. And I said, well, so they give me a polygraph test. And after the polygraph test, a polygrapher who actually teaches a poly- polygraph test in university in Portland, he says, this person is telling you the truth. And then really were pissed off over that. Yeah,
0: that's funny.
1: They wanted, they wanted me to be a liar so bad that they wanted to be able to take that. And that's what kept them away from taking me to trial anytime soon. That was in 96. It took them until December of uh, 97 before they actually got me to take me there to to Wyoming. And that was only because Governor James Derringer wanted to use my case as a stepping stone for re-election. Okay. The whole thing was political. Mm -hmm. They, They made it political at that time. Matter of fact, when they... Uh, The governor, Geringer he got on the podium and he said, when he was asked a question about Jesperson, he said, I'm going to to bring Mr. Jesperson to my fine state. I'm going to give him a fair trial and then I'm going to kill the bastard.
2: Yeah, I heard that. That's what he
1: said on national TV, which destroyed the fair trial. Yep. Therefore, I could ask for change of venue and he's pretty much screwed up. For sure. Um, Yeah. And so, and like I told you before, they they charged Wyoming the, the for here to come and get me and bring me back to Oregon, it was one hundred thirty-six thousand dollars. They they built Wyoming, so they could give me time I'll never do.
0: Yeah, that's wild.
1: That's <laughs> your taxpayers at work. Yeah, right. Money at work. You know, I told them before if they were just give me a life sentence in writing, I'd sign it. And they said, no, 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 we're going to kill you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And of course, when I got there. They wanted me to go back to Oregon as soon as possible because they didn't. They told me I didn't play fair.
2: Yeah.
1: How dare I? Yeah. How, how dare I manipulate them to get a, get something done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and it was all political. The whole thing mm-hmm. it was political. They wanted the governor Jameser wanted to have reelection, and so he, he used me as a podium. They found out that's the wrong thing to do when you're dealing with the law.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I called, him, I called him an idiot on national TV, and my, my lawyer said to me, he said, Tom, Tom said, you can't tell the lawyer he's an idiot on national TV. Mm-hmm. He wants to kill you. And yeah. I said, yeah, but that's the point. Mm-hmm. I can get him in a pissing match <laughs> on this, and yeah. I can get it taped. I get all these all these conversations are taped. I can get him destroying a third trial, and then I get a change of venue, and this whole case can go up in smoke. Yeah. And that's how they, that's basically what happened. They just mm-hmm. they they had to come up with an understanding that I was going to go back to Oregon and never do a dime uh, of time.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I had a, a lot of the questions that people send to me um, after if, the ones who listen to the podcast and here not just, you know, you know, obviously you have a sense of humor too, but when you're describing the motivation or reasons and what happened to let up to these people to die, I think the misconception is you are this big angry monster that's full of rage and full of hate. And full, but when you're describing these, when your people are listening, they're surprised to hear. Well, it it doesn't seem to be like a fit of rage. It's almost just like not so much nonchalant, but maybe more irritation. Oh, you say you don't want to live? Well, I can help you out with that. Hey, I I promised you, you want to go to jail. I can help you with that. Would that be? correct in thinking that you weren't really this big angry person that's used look at him wrong and are going to strangle you because you have given many girls rides you know here and there and everything's perfectly fine with julie everything's perfectly fine i mean in fact you can make an argument with julie that when you found out that she wanted to steal your truck there's a lot of things that she did that would piss people off but that was fine it wasn't until she said well i don't know i don't you know you said you're gonna get me out of jail well okay i can do that you know, so it was wasn't. Yeah, was there any that pure anger at all? Because it doesn't really seem like
1: it's not. That. I was. It murder isn't an angry thing. I, mm-hmm. was, I wasn't. I wasn't anger. Anger. I was just uh, taking care of business. I I promised Julie I was. You know that she never she wouldn't go to jail. That that was my promise to her. Just make her uh, to, to satisfy her what, what what her thinking was at the time.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. I was thinking like. It, it, it was a game changer when it came down to whether we we're going to be together or not that night. Sure. So, so when this, when the time came up when she was going to actually have to go to, go to face the music, she's arguing with me that you know you promised you were going to do this, or you promised you're going to do that, and I said well, the only thing I know of to keep you out of jail is yeah. And it was like I'm just, I'm just gonna this is the only way I know of to keep you out of jail. Yeah. And that's what I did. I just uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't. I wasn't mad. I was, I was just taking care of business. I just, this is the only way I can love to take care of it. Mm-hmm. If you don't want me to do this, of course. Once I said, you know, I was going to kill her. Well, I, I couldn't back out of that. I mean, I had to go go through with it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: well, it's not a, it's yeah. not a. Now, I might have been angry down there in uh, in Turlock when I couldn't get a parking spot, but that was sure. uh, I was angry at. At the idea that you know they're all all the hookers had all the parking spots, and
0: uh, yeah, but I even that's just not like off. I was yeah. pissed
1: off then, but but that's she ended like... up getting up and walking away. So
0: yeah, but even that, I mean, that's not rage. That's not like you hear about people or multiple offenders and serial offenders, serial killers, where it's pure hatred and rage. Like, doesn't it doesn't really come across that way at all. <laughs> you know, they're a little angry, well, you know, I've but I have
1: people that that I've known all my life, pretty much, and they said. Well, it just sounds like he snapped. You know, there's something just he was just such a nice guy, and all of a sudden he just snapped, and and he went off the deep end. And this is what he did. I'm mean, like, well, no, I just if I didn't have, if I was a, a real angry person and I was angry against women and all that kind of thing, I thought about this. You know, I thought about you know my my wife um, when when she left with my children. she left, and, and anytime I moved close to the to her. To be with the kids, she'd move again to be away from me, and so I could say, "Well, I was angry at my wife, and that's why I went off and sure. and did something. I was imploding. Let's say I was imploding.
0: That's what the and, that's what you know, most
1: people there was think. There's a part of me. There's a there's part of me that was uh, I was dealing with paying child support, and every time I got something new, like a new car or stuff like that, she'd sue me for it. Oh wow! She'd take me back to court to get the car because she needs it now. She married some guy that was on Social Security that couldn't provide for her, and mm-hmm. I felt at ease now. That it was almost like I was killing to get caught so that I wouldn't have to deal with her anymore. Yeah. So I walk away from, so I remember the last thing I talked to my ex-wife. She said, she "Said on the phone, how could you? She hung up the phone. And I think it had to come down to that the money wasn't going to be there anymore.
2: Exactly. She couldn't
1: come after me for anything anymore. And in mm. a way, I was comfortable with that. But sure. at the same time, I was angry because I couldn't be with my kids.
0: Well, yeah, obviously. That's, but every that's time I point.
1: moved close to my kids or get a job close to my kids, she'd move to somewhere else.
0: Yeah, that sucks.
1: She'd move away. Mm.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a beat. So
1: people could argue and say I was arguing, I was mad at my wife and that's why I went off and killed these women. That's not it. That's not really it. Sure. It's just you know, I was just I was just going through the motions. I just if I had been really angry and I would have gone out and I would have killed everybody I was I
0: ever run into. Well that's the thing, you and had I the opportunity, yeah. You had so much more opportunity. You could have had a hundred under your belt. You know, for all the people it, that you didn't, you just gave no more rides to and come in contact with, for sure.
1: Yeah, it could have been it could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. could have been the 166 and 13
0: Yeah, it could have been the one, yeah, right? <laughs> and, and I yeah. try to tell people where, okay, maybe you're just born differently. Your mind's just obviously a little different than other people. Because so when you say, for example, that, okay, you know, after, you know, killed her, we get disposed of the body, then that went and played cribbage. And that's where, it's, idea where yeah. it's It's not an explanation sometimes, you know, to where, well, how could they do, well, they're, they're wired. Maybe you're just wired a little differently. Yeah, you know, we can't necessarily put our, ourselves in somebody else's shoes without, you know, without actually being them. Oh, yeah. You know, it's you can't really explain something. So my, step,
1: my stepmother was what brought it up one time when she came to see me she said, here you are. I mean, you come down here talking to us and everything. We didn't know that you just killed someone a day before. Right.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here
1: I was just nonchalant. I was like, like everything was normal. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. how I saw things. It was normal.
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: uh, Like I said, murder became uh, nonchalant. Like it was like no big deal. hmm It became no, it wasn't a big deal. It, when, when I first did a murder, that was, it was a big deal. Sure. But the more I did, the less less of a deal it was.
0: Yeah. It was like it
1: was not, it was just another another day in the life of Keith hmm did you actually you know, have?
0: Kind of... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm gonna say, did after the divorce? Now, obviously, you you you've been with a, a lot of women, you know. But were you ever in a serious relationship after that? Or there wasn't really enough time oh. being on the road to really meet anybody to have like a a real, real relationship? Because Julie was kind of well, like I... that. Julie was seemed like heading there almost until she started getting a little little squirrely.
1: Well, I had I had Roberta. Alice was with for years, a couple of years. I got, I, I went to, I was dating a woman named Betsy Pennington out of, and she was out of Spokane. She moved to Helena she ran, she started a company called Outside In. Mm-hmm. I helped her with that a little bit and, and uh, I loved her kids and, and we got along. I thought about hooking up with her. I mean, um, there's a job there in Helena I could have got as running a, a caterpillar, a dozer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people I, I'd run. I had a woman named Karen Ruiz that, I lived in Reno in that area, and I got along with her but i back to my mind, I always had that feeling that maybe something might, might stop all that there I just wanted to touch in on the the different women i've had i've had sure. uh, I have a woman that was in Portland named um uh, Webster um and she was just two little you know four foot eleven ninety pounds token wet
0: Oh, that would have been neat uh, to see a, a picture of you guys side by side.
1: Yeah. Your <laughs> nickname's Sunny. Her mom was gorgeous. Her mom's gorgeous. She had a couple of kids, but she mm-hmm. was a brat. She just, uh, <laughs> Western dance when I met her on the, on the dance floor. Oh, nice. And, uh, actually when I met her, I met another gal that was with her. I was more interested in the other girl that was with her than her, but, uh, I'd offered, I said, well, why don't you, one of you girls come with me and I'll go down to Salem. I'm going to make my delivery down there. And he. And uh she's the one that jumped in the truck with me, and then we went down and played uh, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> sure. The other girl, I remember the other girl talking about. Had I known it was going to be that good of a deal or whatever like that, she said she would have jumped in the truck with yeah, me. Nobody that's told. funny. That kind of, but she was a <laughs> uh, she was a little blonde type, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, she was had the chipmunk face, had no hips. You know, she looked like Terry Strug, the gymnast. No, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, but she's you know she's. 30 years old
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, and that relationship didn't go well i mean it uh over it was she was a lot like Julie you know she she wanted it was all about uh you know, what can I do for her I remember I remember coming to town one time I didn't call ahead, and uh when I got to town, I pulled into so the and I went into, went into the bar and I sat in a booth in the back there and I was watching her dance with a couple of guys, and every time she Went back to the booth and she was kissing on them, and so I walked over and said, "Hi, how are you doing?" And she's like, "You didn't call. You didn't warn me that you're coming to town."
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, that funny. was kind of like, "Yeah, okay, this is over."
2: Yeah, kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: and then I had this girl that's in uh, Fallon, Nevada. I met her in Fallon named Karen Louise, and uh, she moved eventually to Sun Valley, uh, Mobile Park there. In up there by Reno. And, uh, I really loved her. I, I thought that it was going to be a really good thing. I was going to move in with her back in '94, um, right after I got off the road for a while. And uh, I have, I hesitated because I was a fearful that, uh, it wasn't going to work out. I just, with, with murder in my, in my mm. life, I, I, I worried mm. about that. I worried about what was going to happen down the road. Sure. Whether or not I was going to get caught or not or whatever, and I, and I, I feared for that, so I, I stayed away from it. And she was a really nice girl; she really was. She's a little older than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was a business person and uh, really kinky in bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, Betsy was you know a nice gal. She's divorced. She wasn't ready to get married again. That's what her problem was. She wasn't. She got divorced from a the one guy and then um they're having the issues and i know what it's like being divorced and and not wanting kind of wanting to settle down not wanting to settle down right away yeah. you know, with with roberta um she's just she's she a brat I, I loved her and i still probably love her because that her mother wanted us to settle down wanted us to you know to um commit to each other but we could never really commit because oh, okay. the, he still had her husband. She had a, a husband on the side there oh. that she couldn't get divorced from him because gotcha. of the kid. Yeah, And her way of getting rid of him was for me to kill him.
0: That's right. Yeah. I remember she saying she that. brought
1: it up. She said, why don't yeah. you kill my husband? That way I, can, I don't have to do it. I said, why don't you just divorce the guy? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I said, if you're going to want me to kill him, who are you going to get to kill me? Exactly. Right? So you're going to pretty soon you're gonna have someone else in. She's she's a great great piece of ass, but just got, you know
0: the crazy one with her she. The crazy yeah, ones usually we are had, she played a lot.
1: <laughs> we played a lot with her. Yeah. We drive along and all a sudden she drove truck with me. Oh wow. You know, she she'd see a rest of her come up. We haven't fucked in this rest of her yet.
2: <laughs> oh wow <laughs>
1: Yeah. And so that was it. That was how it all played out.
2: Yeah.
1: But yeah, That's it funny. it got to the point where you know I think I told you that you know I was. We were driving north. Roberta and I were driving north on this, on this one, and and we we're coming out of San Bernardino, and I was tired. I'd been up all day, and I did all the unloading and all and loading out of Yuma, and we we're coming up, and uh, I told her I said, "All right, uh, I'm going to go to sleep. You wake me up in Bakersfield, which she'd have to go up." past Victorville, up 395 to Kramer's Corner, mm-hmm. grab 58, go to Mojave and shoot down to Atchopey and right into Bakersfield and everything be good. Yeah, okay. So I go to sleep. Well, the truck quits moving. And I wake up, I'm looking up, and I'm, I see a sign, welcome to Needles. I said, what the hell am I doing in Needles? Needles is, you we're going up 15, 15 turns into 40, 40 goes to Kingman, Arizona, and Needles is on the border of California and Arizona. She's going in the other direction, so oh,
2: I, no. I get out of the
1: truck. I throw this. I throw the towel over the steering wheel to let her <laughs> know if she comes back that I'm gone.
2: Okay. I in the
1: truck stop, and I go in there and there's this. There's a table. There's like eight or ten truckers all sitting around the table, and she's at the head of the table, and she's the head of the. She's head of the conversation because everyone wants to get into her pants. That's what they want.
2: Yeah.
1: Just like on that movie yeah. Sling Blade, I grabbed the uh. I grab a chair and I drag it across the floor and I park it right next to her and I said, looked right at her and I said, What the hell are we doing in Needles? <laughs> she says, Uh she points at the guy that she's talking to, just, I got to talking to him on the radio and I just lost track of time. I said, You're supposed to have taken the next exit, you know, this kind of thing. Anyway, so I asked the guy, I said, all right, what truck are you driving? And he pointed at this big old black Peterborough park on the parking lot. I said, is it unlocked? And he said, why? And I said, is it unlocked? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you want her in the truck with you? <laughs> and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want her in the truck with her. And I said, fine. I went out in the truck, and I grabbed all of Roberta's stuff, and I walked over, and I put it in this guy's nice truck. Wow. And I got in my truck, and I drove. I, I just drove oh, wow. to where wow. I was headed. I left yeah. her there. <laughs> well, I figured, you know, I'm good not If she wants to drive off with this guy, go ahead. Yeah, hey. So a few weeks later, I get a phone call, and here she wants to hook up again because apparently this guy that she hooked up with went back to his wife.
2: Uh, of course. You know,
1: of course. So he goes <laughs> home, and that's what it is. Oh, and, wow. of course, I'm going like, uh, no, I'm not so damn sure about this, right? But eventually we did. We we got together again, but it took a while. It it took a lot of coaxing on, on both parts. <laughs> I didn't really want I my boss didn't want her in the truck.
0: Of course. Yeah, because yeah.
1: of yeah, yeah. she'd lose track of where she was going and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Crazy stuff, right?
0: That's yeah. funny.
1: So yeah, but it was it was it was comical. It was but she was a three hundred mile a day driver. And in order to drive a team, she needed to be able to drive 500, 600 miles a day. Oh, okay. All I needed, right. gotcha. yeah, that's, in order to be be a team. I mm-hmm. have to, They figure that a, a team driver truck should get 1,000 miles a day. Gotcha. That's, that's what they should be getting. So okay. I get half, he gets half.
0: That makes sense.
1: And that's the way the logbook works and all that kind of stuff. That's, anymore, any big trucks over the road, I have to be a team because under electronic logging, the way it is now that you could drive 11 hours and have to be off for 10. So that means the other driver has to take over and they got, that's the only way they can get things down the road. Yeah. If you're going to run across country, that's what you have to do is run a team now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Unless you wanted to,
0: yeah. Now, since, so, since you've been, uh, incarcerated in, 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 the prison in Oregon, maybe this might be a, we'll do maybe a topic for, <clears throat> excuse me, another show. Um, how many letters and women have contacted you, in, like over all these years, you know, like a decent amount of people um, just wanting uh, to get to know you, or more guys than girls?
1: Well, I get uh, last year. I mean, I keep track of the mail
0: that mm-hmm. I get. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. I really do. I keep track and I inventory how many people, new people, have contacted me over the last three years. I always three years, and I carry it forward. Sure. So last year I got two hundred and seventy-five letters now over the course of the year
0: uh-huh.
1: 275 letters. out of the 275 letters probably um uh, probably 200 are from women oh really <laughs> yeah the ladies uh, man and they're not and they're not uh they're not asking to get married they're not asking to do different things like that they're just they're um uh, they're after artwork they're after they're I get that you know when they when they write me and they say their birthday's coming up next month. I know what they're oh, asking.
0: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah.
1: They're asking, they're after me to send them a card, draw them a card, and send it to them or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, I said, I don't, you know, you're, If you would have wrote me six months ago, I might have been able to get around to it.
2: Yeah,
1: but I have, you know, my I have a list of people that I have to get stuff for. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And whether, whether, were, were there a percentage of them who just wanted to get to know you? Like just for who you well, are, the or
1: the percentage of that is about five percent.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Well, five percent actually want to get a hold, want, want to actually carry on a conversation like we're having.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. The
1: other, the rest of the ninety-five percenters, they don't, uh, they don't want all. You, you write them back the one letter. This is this is how you contact me. This is how you, you know, you know that put money on my account. This is how you do this and that. Mm-hmm. And I never hear from them again because they've got what they wanted. They oh, got a
0: they got autograph they got seekers. a letter
1: for their album.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, gotcha. You know, yeah. they're
1: they're collecting. You know, I don't know what my letters go for on the internet right now. What $30, mm. forty dollars?
0: Yeah, it could be something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's about fifty bucks.
1: Well, oh, fifty bucks for a letter. So, yeah. so that's that's fifty bucks they don't have, they can get from me for nothing.
0: Yeah, definitely true.
1: Right, they're just mm-hmm. writing me, and then they get that fifty dollar letter, and it's and all it is, and I don't sign it with my full name. I just put Keith in
0: her. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: I, I I keep it as simple as possible. Sometimes sure. I don't even sign
0: them. And everybody who's listening know? to this, and we I mentioned it before, but go to Beyond the Crime, um, and you did a great um, article and, and even a vocal uh, recorded with her. What was her name on top of my head? Beyond the Crime. What was her first name again?
1: Maria. Maria. Maria yeah. DeLaronzo.
0: Yeah, she did a Beautiful
1: ge- girl. Beautiful yeah. girl. Yeah,
0: I, I, I talked to her on Instagram. You know, we're friends on there, and I... Uh, a great piece that you two guys did together on *Murderabilia*, true crime art, whatever they're calling it nowadays. And we did a little bit on that too here. But definitely going to be on the crime. Check that article out. And you guys do some great work together. And she's awesome at what she does. And you guys, yeah, are-
1: she's, she's, she's great. I mean, you know, it's, we're friends. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I kind of like, you know, I tell her stuff. I was just thirty years younger and I wasn't here, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's just a great person, just a great girl.
0: And what I like um, the best about. Um, your guys, I mean, I, I was following you. We, I think me and you were still, we were just writing back then, writing back and forth, um, and you told me about her, and I connected with her. I just so enjoyed the the chemistry you two guys had because she didn't have an agenda. I mean, there was an agenda of, of the topic. There was an agenda she wasn't trying to get you to, you know, say bad things or anything. You just have a great chemistry together. I mean, that's just enjoyable to listen to. You know, one side's not trying to out to get, get the other side or anything. Just a great conversation. And so everybody does have to go over there and, and check all her stuff out. Um, she has other people, too, she talks to. But you two guys are really uh, the best part of this of, of the site. Yeah,
1: we're probably lovers in in, in, in disguise, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, I have, you know, we, I probably should call her again here pretty quick here, uh, but she's just one of those girls that just we just click. Mm-hmm. It's just it just it's just a great conversation. Um, I I really enjoy talking to her.
0: Yeah, that's good. Anyway, so you can tell it comes through, which is the yeah. most important thing for sure.
1: And she, does, and she does. She's doing me a service. She really is. Mm-hmm. She provides the the blog, the where this goes, and she she does writing, you know, on you know on legal matters and stuff like. And she's also a school teacher. I can So see she that, has yeah. a very good. She's a very good character wise person.
0: Yeah, you can see that. It definitely comes through. She does great work with you. Definitely enjoy her stuff for sure. So everybody, go check that out too. Beyond the Crime, and uh, I definitely won't be disappointed, for sure.
1: At beyondthecrime.com, that's with the Marie and Read guilty details and listen to about four and a half hours of audio. Yeah.
0: Question and answer. Definitely won't be disappointed. I've I've listened numerous times, and I still go back there for some content, so I definitely won't be so disappointed. Cool. Good yeah. stuff. All right. There you have it. Uh, my conversation with Keith Jesperson. Uh, we made sure it was a long one because we knew it was going to be the the last one before I took a break. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I, I always enjoy talking to Keith. I probably talk to him every couple of days on the phone, you know, outside of you know, recording for the podcast. I'm um, to talk to. I mean, it's a sense of humor. Uh, it's tremendous. Um, and, and the funny thing is, I mean, obviously this is a true crime podcast. You know, if a stranger is listening who's not into true crime and they hear a serial killer and Making jokes, you're know, like, what well, kind of sick bastards." That uh, I guess that's part of me. I think it's pretty funny, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes you do. I mean, tying up. I was the Angela Sabres, I believe, underneath the truck to destroy destroy the body to destroy the evidence. It's like, oh, it's A surefire weight weight loss plan. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, it's funny, but then you think, "What the hell did I just laugh at?" You know, you <laughs> know, it's pretty sick and twisted. Uh, but he does have a good sense of humor. Uh, I have been talking to another person who has a great sense of humor, Todd Kohut. Uh, I've been writing him for a while. Um, great sense of humor is coming through the letters. Um, I gave him my my number. He's going to be calling soon. Hopefully, you have him on the podcast once I get back up and running. Uh, I'll record you know a bunch of episodes before I go back. So I just want to make sure I have a lot of more material. Um, so hey, thanks everybody. And again, there's a plenty of episodes on here. Uh, so share the podcast. Let everybody know about it. While I get my ducks in a row, but the video thing I want to start doing. Uh, maybe working on a documentary. Um, at all I'm still going to be recording podcasts. I'm just going to be uploading. I'm not going to be uploading it every week. I want to get another, you know, six or seven done, maybe 10 done, uh, that I can upload each week without scrambling around and last minute editing and things like that. Cause I got a lot of other things going on. Um, so thank you everyone. And until next time after my little break, see ya.